you're somewhat familiar with John. We know him as the disciple whom Jesus loved, or the beloved disciples. Now, a little hint, we know that because John wrote that about himself. <laughs> yeah, I'm the one that Jesus loved. He's a brother of a, another disciple named James. He was one of the younger disciples. He's writing this, one of several of his writings that we find in the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John. These epistles are letters, we call them 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And then he wrote the book of the Revelation. He wrote this from the city of Ephesus in probably about 85 or 90 AD as an old man before he was exiled to Patmos where he wrote the book of the Revelation. Some have said he wrote the Gospel of John to convert sinners. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John to confirm the saints. And he wrote the book of the Revelation to coronate the Savior. John was facing the same kind of questions in his day that we face today. Is Jesus really God? Does it really matter? There were false teachers distorting the truth about Jesus. They taught a new theology that compromised the uniqueness in the person and the work of Jesus. John responds by teaching that Jesus Christ is the incarnate Son of God whose death provides forgiveness of all sins. That's the heart of the gospel. I would say to you today, you should not attend a church that doesn't always make a beeline back to the cross of Jesus Christ. That's the heart of why we're here. John was facing people who taught a new morality that minimized the importance of sin. They claimed fellowship with God despite their unrighteous behavior. But John is going to say that Christianity has ethical implications, that fellowship with God requires righteousness. And I would say to you, you should not attend a church that doesn't call you to a higher standard as a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were teaching a new spirituality that resulted in spiritual arrogance, and consequently, they didn't show love to one another. And by the way, I would say to you, you should not attend a church that is eat up with that kind of mentality, with legalistic people who spend their time telling you why you should not do this or that, rather than pointing you to the holiness and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Basically, John was dealing with false teachers who crept into the church, and that still happens today. And it was in this cultural context that he gave us that truth that I gave to you. Complete joy can only be found through the forgiveness of sins that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So that being the case, he begins by telling us it's important to know who Jesus is. Do you know who Jesus is? You should contemplate that every time you gather with other saints. John is going to remind us that Jesus is 100% God. He was the one that was there when? From the beginning. Do you see how it started? That's not the only time we see those words in Scripture. We've got the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 where it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of creation. Then we've got the beginning of the gospel in Mark 1 chapter 1 where it says, The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Then we've got the beginning of Jesus being incarnate in eternity. In John 1, 1, when it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then here, in 1 John 1, 1, we have Jesus becoming flesh. The Word became flesh. 
a distinctive of our Christian faith, a distinctive of who we are is that we believe that Jesus is who he claimed to be and Jesus claimed to be God. I want to say this very clearly because we live in a world that's pluralistic and we spend our time trying to make each other feel good and so we're afraid to step on other people's toes that come from a different perspective. But make no mistake, you can't believe what the scriptures teach about Jesus and not believe that he is the God who's the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. As some have said, there's only a few alternatives. Either Jesus is a liar, he wasn't who he claimed to be, he was a lunatic, C.S. Lewis said, a lunatic on the level of a poached egg. In other words, he made no sense at all because he was claiming to be something he wasn't, or he's a legend, and, and in some of your minds, that's the way you look at Jesus. Yeah, he was legend, he was great, or he is Lord. And if he's Lord, if he's who he claimed to be, that changes everything. John is saying he is the word of life. Theologians have wondered in these first words, is John talking about the gospel? He's the word, like describing some words? Or is he describing Jesus? Well, we know what he says in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and he's referring to Jesus. I think he's referring to Jesus here. He's saying Jesus is our everything. He is our life. You can't separate the man from his message. So the message of the gospel that changes you is about the man who is the only thing that can change you. He's 100% God, but he's also 100% man. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you don't understand that Jesus was a man like us, then the fact that he lived a sinless life is meaningless. Because that's what the Bible says of him. In Hebrews chapter 4, it says, We do not have a high priest who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet, he did not sin. He was 100% man. Can you imagine some of the conversations that people had with Jesus throughout his life? What's your name? Well, on my mother's side, it's Jesus. But on my father's side, it's Emmanuel, God with us. Where are you from? Well, on my mother's side, a little village called Bethlehem. But on my father's side, I came from the portals of glory in heaven. How old are you? Well, when he was in the temple, he might have said, on my mother's side, I'm 12. Or when he was walking to the cross, he might have said, on my mother's side, I'm 33. But on my father's side, I'm from everlasting to everlasting. What religion are you? Well, on my mother's side, I was a Jew, despised and rejected. But on my father's side, before Abraham was, I am. Do you think you'll amount to anything, Jesus? <laughs> well, on my mother's side, they're going to kick me out of town and hang me on a cross. But on my father's side... I will, throughout eternity, be worshipped and adored. <laughs> well, Jesus, what's your plans? 
Well, on my mother's side, I'm going to go to the cross and die. But on my father's side, after three days in the tomb, I'm going to burst forth. Well, how will we know it's you, Jesus? Well, on my mother's side, you'll see the nail prints in my hands and feet. But on my father's side, I'll be seen as the lamb standing as if it's been slain, riding a white horse with many crowns upon my head. That's who Jesus is. 100% God, 100% man. And so I'm asking you today, church, do you know my Jesus? John said, I've seen him. I've heard him. I looked at him. So he said, I've seen him a second time. He's going to say it three times. And then he says, and then I touched his hands. I felt him. I experienced him. Who is Jesus to you? You see, that's the question. That's going to determine whether, whether or not you live a life of complete joy. It's not some list I could give you of how to have a better marriage or, or how to be a happy employee or how to defeat this bad habit. Some of those things are good, and we discuss some of those times from time to time. But the most important question in your life is, who do you say that Jesus is? So I want to answer that question by tying together two truths before we end. The first truth is this. God wants you to experience the joy of knowing Jesus. You can know Jesus just as John did. You may not walk with him face to face as one of his disciples, but you can know him. In verse 3, John calls this the fellowship of Jesus. You can fellowship with Jesus. God wants you to know what John said he knew. Do you understand that? Back in July, Kimberly and I celebrated 30 years of marriage. I can still remember the time, 30 years ago, walking down that aisle, standing before our friends and family, committing our lives to one another. But I got to be honest, even after dating for a couple years, we didn't know each other. <laughs> you know, we're still getting to know each other. But here's what I know. We know each other a lot better than we did. We've experienced life together. We've laughed together. We've cried together. We've journeyed together. We know each other in every way. And God's Word says that you can know Jesus. How? By fellowshipping with him. Jesus prayed for you in that way. This is what he said in the high priestly prayer in John 17. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It was central to the whole purpose John is writing this little letter. At the end of the book, he's going to say in 1 John 5, 13, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you know Jesus? How do we know we have eternal life? Well, according to Scripture, the only way we know Him is through the gift of repentance. Do you understand what repentance is? We get that English word from a Greek word that literally means you're headed in one direction and there's a 180 degree turn and you go the opposite way. So in my life, here's it look. I, I, I'm, I'm heading down this road making plans according to Paul's will and Paul's desire and Paul's wishes. But I repent of that. 
and I turn and I begin to live according to God's desire and God's will and God's wishes. Or I'm heading down the road and I'm making choices that are not pleasing to God that are my way. But I turn from those choices and I turn to Him and I begin to live His way. This is what Scripture says in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, He's patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Now, let me ask you a question, church. Who does the Bible say needs to repent? Everyone. Who does God desire that they repent? Everyone. So why do we need repentance? Because we're sinners. Do you know the Bible says that of you and me? There's this little verse, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. It says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What that means is you think of God's glory, His holiness, His perfection. All of us are short of that. No matter how good you think you are, you're not good enough. Because you're not perfect. The only one who's ever lived a perfect life is Jesus the Christ. So who's a sinner? All of us. Let's, let's take a quick test to see if we're listening. Raise your hand if you're a sinner. It's unanimous. That's all of us. So listen to how John goes on to describe that sinful behavior. Verse 5. This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. Say God is light. In him there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. I need to read that again to those gathered in the church, those listening to the word of God. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in the darkness, we lie, we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, oh, I love this verse. Listen to this, church. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word's not in us. Oh, church, I, wanna, I want you to understand something. I'm trying to tell you how to have complete joy but the Bible says, the Word of God teaches us that you can't have complete joy when you're walking in sin apart from Jesus Christ. The only pathway to complete joy is a forgiveness of sins that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And these verses, they describe how we can experience that joy. Did you catch it? It says, stop lying to God because He knows Stop lying to yourself because you're an idiot. I mean, really, if, it's what it says. If, if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. You're lying to yourself. So then what do you do? You confess. Confess means to agree with God. And then you repent and turn from your sin. Now, how do you do that? You do that by trusting in what Jesus the Christ has done for you. I could tell you hundreds of these stories. Let me just give you one. 
One of our pastors shared this with me recently. An individual came into one of our settings, one of the spaces that we have where we proclaim the truth of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they began to respond with curiosity. They weren't coming from a Christian faith background, but they kept coming. And as they kept coming, they began to hear the truth of the gospel week in and week out. That you you need to turn from your sin. You need to agree with God about where you are. And and you need to follow Jesus. So one day they came forward and, and they said, Hey, there's something going on in my life that I've now realized is sin. And I've been coming because I was interested. But now I realize I need to repent. There's a major lifestyle choice that's been a part of who I am that's not of God, and I'm ready to repent and turn to Jesus. I'm ready to walk away from what I was so that I can be who I am in Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel. That's what brings us joy in life. That's what gives hope to the person who needs hope. It's what John says is the blood of Jesus, his son, that purifies us from all sin. So I just want to ask you a question. I'm I'm just at the halfway point, just so you know, but I want to ask you this question right now. Do you know Jesus in that way? Have you experienced his hope in that way, the joy of knowing Jesus? When John wrote this, he was an old man. He had all kind of stuff in the rearview mirror. I just need to tell you, I'm a pastor that's got a lot of junk. I got a lot of garbage in my rearview mirror. But I thank God that the windshield is much bigger than the rearview mirror. I thank God that he's a God of grace. I thank God that he is one who tells me that if I confess my sin, he's faithful and just to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me of all righteousness. You think because John had had endured the junk, he didn't have joy? Having joy doesn't mean that you don't have troubles or that you aren't grieving or that you're not brokenhearted or that you're not crying out saying, God, I don't understand. It means that you have something that gets you up in the morning, that keeps you going, that causes you to climb out of bed and causes you to not give up. It gives you assurance. It gives you strength to keep living for Jesus. Because the only way to complete joy is the forgiveness that comes of our sins through Jesus Christ. That's why in our church we're trying to say over and over and over again, hey, we are a mess. We are broken people. But man, when we come together like we are today, we make a beautiful mosaic of God and Jesus Christ. He's not finished with us. He's not done with us. But we have to look to Him. So have you trusted Jesus? You know, there's no magic prayer. We teach little children it's as simple as ABC. You've got to admit that you need him because you're a sinner. That's A. You've got to believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, and he could do it because he was perfect. That's B. And then you've got to confess and commit your life to him. That's C. If you've never done that, I want to give you a chance to do that right now. Would you just bow your head with me? Now, you don't need my words. But sometimes, maybe you're like me, I just don't know what to say. I just want to repeat, this isn't the end. This isn't the invitation. This is God's invitation to you to begin that relationship with Him. So if you've never taken that step, maybe you would cry out to God right now. Maybe you would say this, just say, you and Him, just say, Dear Jesus, 
I know I'm a sinner. I need to be saved and forgiven. I believe you died for me. And I know you're alive today. So I'm repenting of my sin. I'm turning to you, Jesus. And I'm following after you. For the rest of my life. Now tell him thank you. To say thank you Jesus. God I pray that even in this moment. You will just cement that confidence in someone's heart. That knows they've experienced you. And may joy begin to be birthed in their life. From this moment on. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed across this big room. If you just prayed that prayer with me. Beginning that relationship with Christ. Would you just lift your hand real quickly so I can say welcome to God's family. Welcome to God's family. Others of you, welcome to God's family. It's the most important thing you can ever do. Welcome to God's family. So thank you, Lord. And we ask this in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen. amen. Now this is what the Bible teaches. If you've got that relationship with Jesus, then you've also got something to celebrate you know you got something to celebrate? That's part of what brings us that joy. Because in our mind, we go back to what Jesus has done for us. If you never did that, it's like going through life and never having a birthday celebration. You know, if you, did, if you never have a birthday celebration, kind of you might forget there's some people that care that I'm alive. But when people sing happy birthday or write you a little note or give you a gift, it just reminds you, wow, I do have something to celebrate. Well, Jesus gave us a way that we could celebrate what he's done for us. It's called the Lord's Supper. So we invite Christ followers, those who have a relationship with Jesus, to take advantage of the Lord's Supper every time we gather together and have communion. And so if you know that you've got that relationship with Jesus, when you came in today, you received one of these little cups. There are some folks that can... Get them in your hands if you didn't get one. Take the bottom of that and peel that back and you'll peel off this little wafer and take the top and peel it back. And you'll see there's a cup of juice. Here's what Jesus said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 through the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is saying, when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body which is done for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread or drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he's come. You give yourself an opportunity to celebrate what Jesus has done for you. I want to give you that chance because I want to stir up the joy in your life today. I want you to look back to that salvation moment. So Christ followers, take that little piece of bread. And let me just remind you that the body of the Lord Jesus Christ was beaten, abused, and ultimately murdered because of his great love for you. They took the bread. All throughout God's history with his people, 
He provided a sacrificial way through the shedding of blood that their sins could be atoned for. Throughout the Old Testament, that was through lambs and goats and rams, different animals, doves. But Jesus taught us that that's the Old Covenant. The New Covenant was in His blood. And because the blood of the Lamb of God, Jesus the Christ, was slain on that cross of Calvary, no blood ever has to be slain for you again. He did that once and for all. So Christ followers, you take that little cup, you take of this juice, and you do this in remembrance of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Lord Jesus, as we remember what you've done, as we celebrate the reality of your gift, may that joy begin to bubble up in these believers' lives. May we experience the joy of knowing you, Jesus. I ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. So God wants you to know that you experience the joy through knowing Jesus. But there's a lot of us, let's just be honest. You're a Christ follower, but you're not walking in joy. Let me close with what else this passage says. It's the second truth. God wants you to express the joy of knowing Jesus. Did you hear that? Listen again. God wants you. Say me. That's right. God wants us to express the joy of knowing Jesus. That's what John said in verses 2 through 4. The joy of a Christ follower is complete when we express that which we've experienced. Did you get that? The joy that we know in Jesus is complete when we express that which we experience. If you're lacking in joy as a Christ follower, it very well may be that it's because you're not living out your faith in the proclamation of the gospel. God expects you to profess that which you proclaim. Yeah, there are less amens on that. But I'm going to say it again. God expects you to profess that which you have proclaimed. Jesus told us that. Do you know that it says that in God's Word? Matthew 10, verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before others, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Oh, church, do not miss this. A follower of Jesus who's truly experienced the joy of knowing him will necessarily proclaim the gospel of Jesus. Why? Because that's what we do. That's who we are. Man, if you're an FSU fan, you better be, better be sitting in your seat at church this morning. But I've seen some of you, and some of you Alabama fans, you're wearing your colors today. That's okay. If you're a college football fan, that's what you do. I want you to know, if you're a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, testifying to that faith is what we do. God wants you to express the joy of knowing Jesus right where you are every day. How we do that? 
Well, some of you have bought the lie. And you've even tweeted it or put it on your Facebook or the gram. Is that quote, that's a lie. You know what it says? Preach the gospel. If necessary, use words. Guess what? It's necessary. You can't preach the gospel without using words. You can live a good life, but hell will be filled with people who've lived a good life. You can't preach the gospel without using words. That's what it says in Romans 10. How then will they call on the one they've not believed in? How can they believe in one in whom they've not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? How can anyone preach unless they are sent? It's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who lived a good life. No. Who bring the good news. How do you do that? I'm going to give you several ways, so listen quick. Number one, just tell your story. You've got a story. If you're a follower of Christ, you have a story. If you don't have a story, then maybe you need to ask, am I really a follower of Christ? How does your story look? It's simple. It's three points, like most messages. Before Christ. What was my life like before Christ? Maybe you were struggling with addiction or other hurts or habits or hang-ups. Maybe you just lived in fear and anxiety. But then I trusted in Christ. You had a birthday, a spiritual birthday. Jesus came into your life. And then there's a sense. Since I trusted Christ, this is what happened. Tell your story. Some of you need to go home this afternoon and take those three points that you're not writing down right now. And you need to say, how can I better tell my story before Christ than I trusted Christ since I've trusted Christ? This is not hard. But you don't like that route? There's an old way of sharing your faith. It's called the Romans Road. You know what it is? It's just a bunch of verses from Romans. Let me give them to you. First, Romans 3.23. We've already said it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It shows us our status. Then Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It shows us what could be either way. We could have punishment for our sin or we could have life through Jesus. We have Romans 5.8 that says God demonstrates his love in that while we're still sinners. Christ died for us. And then we have Romans 10, 9, which says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And by the way, let me speak to some of you church people out there. Do you notice what it didn't say? It didn't say if you clean up everything in your life, if you cut your hair, if you hide your tattoos, if you stop all your bad habits, then you, that's not what it says. You know what it takes for you to be saved? Call on the name of the Lord, believing in your heart that Jesus is who he said he is, and you will be saved. Because Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, John's already told us when that happens, things are going to change, right? But we're under construction. For some of us, it takes a little longer. Let me give you another method. It's called the three-circle method. You're going to see it on one screen, I think. But you could take and just draw draw these three circles. In the first circle, you could write, what is God's design? God's design is that he has fellowship with you. That you live a good and a joy-filled life. But something gets in the way. You know what that is? That's our sin. Because we're all sinners. We've already established that. So that next circle, I'd write in that circle brokenness. Because that's what happens. How many of you recognize we're broken people? Yeah, How many of you have got some of the consequences in your life because of brokenness? 
Yeah, it's, it's hard. And there's all kind of consequences. But I want you to see something. Even when we're broken, there's a pathway back to God. It's through repentance and it's the hope of the gospel. So when we follow the gospel, we begin to recover and we begin to pursue that right relationship of God's design. All I'm trying to tell you is you don't have to be a rocket scientist. You don't have to be Harvard educated. You just have to have your life changed and be willing to do what God said that Christ's followers do. Are you expressing the joy that you have in Jesus? I've just learned we always, share the, we always share the things that bring us joy. And some of you never shared Jesus. By God, you've got to ask why. If you see a good movie, you're telling people about it. You put it out on social media. You eat a new restaurant, you say, oh, you've got to go try this. We share what brings us joy. I want you to think about something right now. This is some homework. Who's the one person in your life that if they gave their life to Jesus Christ, it would bring you great joy? All across this room, we're just going to pause. You're kind of like a captive audience, so you could start walking out. But raise your hand when you've got one person in your mind. All right? That's enough of us. That's your one And even today, I want you to begin praying, God, open the door for me to have a conversation to share. Because we've all got to ask, if we raise our hand, what are we doing to make sure our one knows Jesus? I don't know why we don't do this. Maybe because we don't know, or maybe you're like me. I, I can't tell you. This morning, I put my nose in the carpet in my office as I gathered with some men to pray because I, I don't feel worthy to stand here. Sometimes I wonder why God still uses me. And maybe that's the way you feel. That's why you don't share your faith. But let me tell you what evangelism is. All it is is one beggar telling another beggar where to get bread. That's all you got to do. The ground is level at the foot of the cross. This is our why. This is why we have neighborhood campuses at Mission Hill Church. And why if we're going to reach Tampa, we're going to have to be thinking about what is our next neighborhood campus. This is why we're restructuring this campus to better reach this community where they're building the largest mosque in North America. This is why we were out in our community last night on the golf course here in Temple Terrace just meeting people and building relationships and why every Thursday night we serve hot meals to those who need it in our six-mile community. This is why we're determined to meet needs and heal hurts and speak God's word every day. It's our why. But it's so easy to get sidetracked, isn't it? One of my favorite storytellers is Max Lucado. He tells about a time he went fishing with his dad and his best friend, Mark. They were excited about this fishing trip, but something happened. It started raining and then sleeting. And the whole time they were there on their break, they hung out in the camper, in their truck, sleeping and talking and eating All week, his dad and his best friend, he said, the longer we spent time together, we began to get on each other's nerves. We started fussing. We picked at each other. We found flaws in one another, and we began to fight and gripe because we're stuck in the camper when we were supposed to be fishing. 
Then Max Lucado, in a way that only he can do, said, when those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. And when energy intended to be used outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we're casting stones. Instead of extending a helping hand, we're pointing accusing fingers. Instead of fishing for the lost, we're becoming critics of the saved. Instead of helping the hurting, we're hurting the helper. The the result is church scrooges and crooked fingers and bah humbug spirituality. Where those who are called to fish don't fish. They fight. Church family, I want to remind you today, we're called to fish. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that's what you're called to do every day right where you are. And as long as God gives me strength, by His grace, I'm determined to keep us on mission. If you want to find a church that talks about other things, man, I can even recommend a few. But if you want to join this mission and and get involved in what God's doing, then let's get back to work. I was convicted last night as I walked around this city. Thousands of people that are going to nobody's church this morning. And yet we get in our church mood and, and we become... Those who are fighting over the aquarium rather than those who are fishing. I don't have time to be a keeper of the aquarium when God's called me to be a fisher of men. So what about you? Have you experienced the joy that comes from knowing Jesus? Are you expressing the joy that comes from knowing Jesus? Last year, there was a Pew poll that said 35% of Americans said they were happy. It was the lowest recorded number in polling history. Everyone wants to be happy. But a lot of people are miserable because they believe the lies of what makes you happy. They're producing lesser joys that become idols in our lives that keep us from Jesus. And I believe that God sent me here today just to remind you that complete joy can only be found through the forgiveness of sins that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. So today I sing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth, let his church, let Mission Hill receive her king. Let every heart Your heart, my heart, the hearts of people from 70 different nations. Let our hearts prepare him room. And heaven and nature join together and sing. Would you stand together with me and just bow your head? Just a moment, we're going to begin to sing. This song that just again speaks to what Jesus does and who he is. And he is a God who is mighty to save. I believe that with all that I am. Maybe you're here today and maybe you prayed that prayer with me earlier. And and you raised your hand or you didn't raise your hand and you know you got saved. Here's what I want you to do. There are going to be pastors that are standing at the front of this church. I want you to come and take one of their hands as we're singing this song. And you say, I got saved. Now some of you are not there yet. But some of you know today... 
You don't know Jesus in the way that causes you to experience joy. And so what I want you to do is come and take the hand of one of these pastors. And this is exactly what you need to say. I need to be saved. I need to be saved. And right here today, we look forward to leading you in that relationship with Jesus Christ that starts with repentance and the forgiveness of your sins. Others of you, I'm just going to be honest. Others of you, man, maybe the Lord's just speaking on your heart like he did to mine in preparation. And you just need to come and kneel and say, God, I haven't been expressing it the way I want to, but I hear you loud and clear. And I want to respond. Let's just, as we sing these words, let's ask God to move in this moment for his glory in our lives. So, Father, that's our prayer in Jesus' name. As we sing to you, Lord, the one who is mighty to save. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Let's worship him together. Our pastors are standing here. You step out. You begin to come right now. Everyone needs compassion.